When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is One Hate Minute. Drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll. What's your name? Wayne Grove. Look like gangbangers working the local 7-Eleven. Robbery homicides take you. Give me all you got! This and Give me all you got! I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best. I'm trying to stop guys like me. A podcast dedicated to all 170 minutes of Michael Mann's L.A. crime opus, Heat, one minute at a time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to One Heat Minute. I'm your host, Blake Howard. And joining me again, it's nice to say, when I get to say it, joining me again is an exceptionally talented writer. And I want to talk to you about two quotes uh, that they've recently written in their work. And the first one... Before we dive into this, the 157th minute of Michael Mann's 1995 Crime Opus Heat is in one of her many publications that she contributes to. She contributed to Senses of Cinema, SBS Movies, Kill Your Darlings, The Age, The Big Issue, but particularly one that I think is most pertinent to this movie and this cityscape is a terrific piece on Karen Kusama's Destroyer starring Nicole Kidman. And my guest today said of Destroyer that it isn't interested in providing any comfortable solutions to spiny problems, which I love. And finally, that Nicole Kidman's Aaron's rage is a toxic substance and she saves the largest dose for herself, which is just gorgeous. Finally, she also wrote, which is her pinned tweet at the moment, cinema is a thirst machine, which... If you compare those two things, you will see why I love this lady dearly and why I was desperate to have her back on the show and why she was such an important voice for me to get on in the thick of uh, the sort of, you know, the, the pièce de résistance of this movie. Not the, th- not the heist, but the conversation in the coffee shop. It's Joanna Dimitia. Joanna, welcome back to One Eight Minute. Hi, Blake. Oh, my God, what a welcome. <laughs> <laughs> And yes, that does kind of sum up my very disparate interests. <laughs> because when I read your pinned tweet, I loved it so much. I, did, I didn't see it at the time and I hadn't seen it in a little bit. But when I saw that, I, it, it just encapsulated for me and sorry to take a tangent so early. There's That's all these okay. think pieces about like, oh, what do you thirst watch? I'm like, everything. Yeah, Movies are thirst watching. Like... Watch a Hitchcock movie. Like, just, like, oh, it's so frustrating. Anyway, so I just, some some conversations you really, like, feel like Clint Eastwood saying, get off my lawn. Like, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. And that that tweet just really, that really got me, got me right in the funny bone. So thank you so much. But we're, we're back. You know, we've gone from one scene that's thick with dialogue, loaded with themes, um, to this kind of mess of images no dialogue, but chaos, emotions, textures, feelings, impulses, and it's it's a thrill to a thrill that we're about to start talking about it together. Yeah, I'm excited. There's so much in this sixty sec. Yeah, sixty seconds. I was going to say sixty, 60 minutes. minutes. 
That's a different show. That's a, <laughs> if it was 60 minutes, we would be like just under three episodes. It'd be two and a bit episodes in this show's, uh, in this show's parlance. But no, 60 seconds, 157th minute. Again, just as a quick reminder for folks, if, you, if this is your first episode, thank you so much for listening and welcome. Um, we're looking at the original theatrical cut of Michael Mann's 1995 Crime Opus Heat. And that means that if you've got currently what's available around the place, the director's definitive edition, you might be a few seconds out because it's actually from the Warner Brothers uh, Blu-ray and DVD copy um, uh, is where where we've sourced it. So on our clock now, it's two hours, 36 minutes. So we're in the last 10 minutes of this film. It's kind of insane, just not to put it mildly. So what Joanna and I are going to do right now is we're going to watch this minute together and then we're going to come back and unpack it for you. It's so good. Yeah, it is so good. <sighs> that is, uh, it, it, I just love. I love. You know, there's there's certain character traits. There's two things that really jump out at me, John. I'm not sure about you, but there's certain characters that you know people have associated with Al Pacino and Robert De Niro, so Vincent Hanna and Neil McCauley in Michael Mann's body of work. Like some people say, oh well. You know, Neil McCauley is like the pro, to, you know, is, is is kind of evolved from James Kahn from Thief. And yep. as an example, um, Vincent Hanna is kind of like Will Graham, so William Peterson's character from Manhunter. Like these are the guys who he's been kind of essaying and he tweaks them and adjusts them based on, I guess, the, I don't know, like the tone that he's trying to set for the different piece. And, yeah, yeah. and so <laughs> this is, you know, I sort of prescribe to but also don't. Because I think man's a little bit more organic than just like I'm going to copy paste these two characters and see where they go in my head. But it's it's a little bit more evolved than that. But in this scene particularly, I just love Pacino's hands. They're like they're like uh, a pianist's hands. They're like they're like waiting like for the energy, like the charge as he's going through this crowd. He's like trying to sense what's wrong, and there's, there's just something so great about this. Doesn't have to say a single word. Beautiful economy of storytelling visually. What's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? Boom. And then yeah. he catches this absolutely, you know, statuesque perfection of Amy Brenneman's face that's just there, perfectly lit. And and then we get to see that warmth in her face, and uh, even though her eyes are very cold, um, and we get to see her reacting. And then just the, the expressions of these guys bouncing off each other, the energy in this scene is just electric. I love it. 
Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with you about Pacino. Um, I mean, I probably went on about this last time we spoke about, you know, the great physicality of him as an actor. But, yeah, he is. He's, like, moving through there and kind of feeling – it's like he's feeling his way through. And I do – I love the way that that scene sort of begins – I mean, you know, we're at the precipice of the climax, for want of a better expression. <laughs> the moment he puts his feet on the ground of the airport, and but then, you know, I like the way we kind of lose him in the crowd. Um, you know, there's the chaos of everybody else running around, and then then he emerges, and you know, he's got this um, that determination and that focus, and it's really picking up on that whole conversation from earlier in the film that he had with Justine, and you know, when she said, you know, you're like a hunter following his prey and you know obviously he's been doing that obviously throughout the entire film but I feel like this you know this minute all of that kind of coalesces like and I want to talk about this a bit more later but for me it's sort of um there's a lot of despite the complete absence of dialogue I feel like there is a coming together of a lot of threads of ideas and uh, the philosophies that both of those two men are kind of built on uh, are all sort of coming into play at this point. And that's what's so exciting about getting to talk about it. I mean, I'd like to be able to talk about the three or four minutes after it as well. <laughs> Unfortunately, they're full up, but I would have you back if they weren't. But, yeah. but, but yeah, I agree. I think, um, you know, I've, I've talked about this in roundabout ways in other minutes and I'm sure it, it will be approached and broached because these scenes, it's, it's, it becomes, um, you know, uh, uh, there's a great quote, and some, some people don't really love the movie. I'm not sure if you're a fan of it. It's um, talking about David Michaud's movie, The Rover, that stars Guy Pearce. And, um, I actually haven't seen it. It's a, me too, yes. Yeah, look, it's. I would definitely say it's worth watching. I'm not sure if it's um, – it, it's, it's definitely – it's one of the words that is often thrown about with it is elemental. It kind of strips back – to real core ideas. And I think that's what there's kind of a discomfort in just sitting with a raw nerve for a long time. And I think one of the masterful things about heat is that it's, it's layering us back for a long time. Like there's so much other story and thematics and ideas that are bouncing around and they're being manifested in these interactions all throughout the movie or huge set pieces for movement. And exactly to your point now, it's like you coalesce it down to this, the core of the idea of what it is. And it's like this undiluted thing. And if you hadn't sort of been, I don't know what it's like, it's acquiring this taste of what the undiluted idea was. By the time you get to now, it it just sometimes is jarring. And I guess the Rover as a whole, like post-apocalyptic piece about survival and, and things like that is quite jarring in that respect. Cause it's just, you know, it doesn't have any artifice. It's just the ugly sort of thing, if you like. Um, um, but a terrific Robert Pattinson performance, absolutely terrific. Um, but uh, I think in Heat right now, ideas and expressions and, and and all that sort of stuff, it's like you're now getting permission to have like this is man at his most De Palma. You know, like if 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 you talked about those, if you talk about man as an entity, as a guy who came up and emerged as a filmmaker around the same times as your De Palmas and your Scorseses and your Coppolas, even though he sort of pivoted to television much earlier than those guys did, you know, the the 
the quintessential De Palma move is much more Hitchcockian. It's like, I'm going to tell you things visually. I don't need to say a word. I don't need to distill a character. My characters are a function of the visual story I'm telling. Whereas you go to the most Scorsese, which is like all character, all people, dialogue, you know, backstory method. It's like, we've already seen that. And now it's like, how do I take, how do I strip all those bits away, strip away the Scorsese and get to the De Palma? We're slowly reducing down again to just the two of them. Yes. But instead of, you know, sitting down... From 70. There's 70 speaking (laughs) characters in this movie. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But... That's a a party that you know it's getting serious, right? When it's come from 70 people down to two, that party is getting serious. Absolutely. Oh, my God. But, you know, before the two... ...about this scene is it's like... um, the visualization of a love triangle. Yeah. Now, bear with me. Yeah. Well, because you know, what you've got is um, how did I say this to myself? The minute kind of en- encompasses three separate points of view. So you've got Vincent looking towards the car, yes. and he sees the outline of a woman sitting waiting. But I'm sure that expectantly, what he's hoping to see is Neil. Mm. And then you've got Edie watching Neil, and then you've got Neil's focus being quite split between. Edie and Vincent Mm. and yeah it's just it's really interesting to me because I think the thing that struck me actually seeing it again was um as Neil kind of approaches Edie in the car and he smiles at her and his attention is taken away like he looks towards where Vincent is but what is it that alerts him to sort of turn his head it's like he's got an instinctive idea that that man is coming for me or he can sense him in the area I don't know like yeah from a pure like narrative standpoint, like last time we we talked, these guys are in the coffee shop, and I guess the when we go back to the genesis of the story, it's Charlie Chuck Adamson, a Chicago police detective, sees Neil McCauley, a bank robber that he's been observing, you know, in the '60s in Chicago, out the front of a laundromat. He sees him. They they have an opportunity right then and there to just gun each other down because he's on his tail, he's on the loose, and instead of there being this, you know, mano a mano like gunfight, the OK Corral like showdown back in the 60s, he's like, no, let's go grab a cup of coffee. And the big thing that Adamson sort of imprinted on man about that um, and, and I think impressed upon him for a whole bunch of films is like, I just wanted to get, I just wanted to get to know him because if I sit down in front of you and I'm looking in your eyes and we're sharing a meal together, I might just know something. And and man, even in a in in a, in a very overt way, talks about in this moment, even in the commentary of the film, he's saying, and I, I try not to mention the commentary too much in One Heat Minute, just for folks, is because it's not just about what Michael Mann says about the movie; it's about how we engage with it. But in his moment, the narrative, uh, the narrative crux of this this exact sixty second period is Vincent sees a woman alone, and and the and the line, "I have a woman." This woman who is in a sea of people in this flurry, in this flux, and she's just not moving. That is like when we talk about sensing that something's wrong, that is the thing that's wrong. And for him to see her, that's the reason why he goes down there. Now, I love what you said. It's like, what is, why is, why is De Niro noticing him? I, I just imagine, I've always imagined it. And, and and this is just my impression and totally love to tangle with you on it. It's 
Imagine all these people walking away, being directed away, get away, get away. And then there's just something in your peripheral. It's like weird thing that tickles on the back of your neck that something yeah. is running towards you. <laughs> it's like you talk about the hunter and the, you know, the, the predator and the prey. It's like, it's like that, 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 you know, uh, reptilian brain in the back of our heads that an animal is going to hunt us down and bite us is like, that is that same feeling that is like charged up in the yeah. scene. Well, the two of them operate on a non-intellectual level, you know. They're, yes. The way that they move through the world is very primal. It's um, so it totally makes sense in that respect, you know, that he would he would sense that he's coming for him. Isn't that cool? Though? Isn't that so romantic when you say oh, it? It's so great. <laughs> it's so romantic. It's so it is. It's like you sense that you're coming for me. Yeah. That's the greatest romance of them all, that one. <laughs> <laughs> we did mention at the top of the show, cinema is a thirst machine, people, not just an empathy machine. Um, I love, I, I, you know, look, there might be one thing I like more than heat quotes that get, you know, chopped up and bastardized in tweets and messages between my friends and I. It might be bastardizing the great Roger Ebert quotes um, for thirst, uh, for modernization with thirst updates. I think that is, that's, that's one of my favorites too. Isn't it just a terrific performance from Amy Brenneman in this scene though, Joe? Isn't it oh, so great? Absolutely. Like, seconds, seconds. And I, There's I just. There's so much happening on that face of hers. Oh. Tremendously underrated in this movie. And I think in this, this, this whole little section, this little segment from the moment that her hand starts shaking uncontrollably where her instincts are taking over and like she realizes innately that something is deeply wrong with everything about this entire uh, chain of events happening. I just think from that moment, it's just like, this is, this is the thing that is on the page. I would imagine as an actor where you're reading the descriptions and you're going, Oh, this is the movie. Like, this is where I get to, there might be weird conflict. There might be frustrations. There might be like, does this character, can I truly surrender to this person who might be totally different from me, who's just so ready for love that they're kind of abandoning some other, you know, some of their moral guidelines, I guess you would say, like, you know, all the things that would say to jettison someone you're abandoning them but like right now this is like the money shot moment for her as a as a performer in this movie it's like this great wordless scene she's balanced i feel like she's balanced between hope and the resurfacing of all her doubts you know i think when she sees him i think there's a moment of okay great he's coming um you know maybe he wasn't a part of whatever this mess is and then i think there's definite um, but at the same time, I'm sure she knows that, you know, he's responsible for what's going on there. Um, but, yeah, just... Um, and there's a great... Because he's so casual too. Like, he's jettisoning the tie. He's throwing it away. And her eyes are like... They're scanning him. Like, what? You're in different clothes. Yeah. You're, you're acting so cool. Everyone yeah. else is going mental. <laughs> like, yeah. And you're just... And, and you're... You're just very cash, just casual as strutting out of there, happy, smiling. Something is wrong. Yeah. 
and then he's forced to make, you know, we're, we're at the beginning there of him having to decide whether um, he has to leave in 60 seconds flat. Well, in 60 seconds flat, if you spot the heat around the corner. And what's so perfect about the next minute is that it's literally butting up against his 60 seconds. And yeah. in less than 60 seconds flat, he's going to make the call. Spoilers. Guys, I'm sorry that we're going to have to get into spoilers for heat, but he's going to make the call to just make a move. Yeah, what I do like, though, that he's allowed to have that moment of, well, I mean, we, we don't really have it that much in our minute here, but, I mean, it's beginning there that there's a, hesi- there's a hesitation for him. Oh, yeah. It's so easy. And I think it got me thinking, too, about, you know, of the two of them, the two men, so, you know, he lives by this code, or he thinks he does. Um, he's really probably not as disciplined anymore as he would like to think he is. And Vincent lives by his code of, uh, chasing the prey and being only the thing that he's going after. Of the two of them, the one that sticks to it better is obviously Vincent. Mm. But, you know, all of those codes kind of require the um, dismissing or leaving behind of women. And it made me think about um, Chris being, I mean, completely irrelevant to our minute. But um, I think it's exactly relevant to our minute, by the way. Yeah, I think you. I think you're about to make. If I know what path you're going down, I think it's exactly relevant to our minute. Yeah, well, Chris just being, um, uh, you know, he refuses to leave Charlene behind, but instead she has to release him. You know, with that slide of her hand. You know that that's the only way that he can. For him, freedom is in having her let him go, so to speak. And but it's know. a but it's like a dead freedom. Like there's what? nothing. That's what's, not, that's what's that's what's so all dead, really aren't they? You that, know? That's what's so tragic. That's what's so tragic and and I think uh, resonant about and, and I think it's perfect in this moment. It's like we've watched Vincent has the easiest discipline in in a way is and I think it's in in these three scenes as great comparative scenes because Justine feigns. Uh, you know, she feigns being okay or as okay with him him leaving in a way to give him permission to leave. Like it's it's both a strengthening thing for her and a self-belief, um, but it's also like a sort of fatalistic view of their relationship. Like she knows he's going to go. So she kind of goes, no, I'm okay. And there's this wonderful moment where she, she straightens up and she repostures and then him skipping down the stairs to get out of there. Um, oh, as, he can't run out of there fast he enough. He can't. He can't. He's got, he's given permission to be his most true self. Yeah. And, in that moment, you do get this beautiful coda to that scene of her, like, collapse. Her shoulders just yeah. fall in and and she's had to be brave in much the same way as Charlene has done to, like, cut him loose. Like, Charlene's is, I love how you put it, it is literally a sleight of hand, a beautiful little sleight of hand that says, I'm cutting you loose, you have to go because otherwise it's imprisonment. And so that moment, huge risks, maximum risks, um, and it has a payoff. And the payoff for her is that she's been able to cut. She's been able to cut loose of him and shake him loose. But Chris is dead. Like the his his loss, his just being discarded in that moment is so heartbreaking. And it's it's also heartbreaking for Justine. And now in this moment, what I think is heartbreaking for us, even in this minute before we even get to the 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 actual in sixty seconds flat, is he going to adhere to his discipline? Is like we kind of already know. Of course, yeah. <laughs> like we, we're we're pretty sure that if this movie is going to be true to itself, is that that 
that these guys are going to adhere to their discipline and be true to themselves, whether they like it or not. With Chris, like she's making him. She is like the Neil. She's like, no, this is I'm cutting you loose. The heat's around the corner. Get out of here. And so in that respect, he's kind of dead, a dead man walking. But in this moment, you know, Edie is like there just realizing she's about to be the butt of this code. I was, well, I was thinking now too that maybe her silence, the fact that there's no speaking from her, like is almost perhaps her permission, her giving him permission to go like, I don't know, I'm kind of wrestling with it. Because, you know, I feel like there's an ambivalence for me. Like the romantic in me thinks, you know, she's this is the most heartbreaking thing that's ever going to happen to her. But then the more cynical side of me thinks that she knows that this is the only way she can move forward. And so there's no point arguing it. It's kind of like yeah. if she's looking at him and there's like expression, there's like they're both kind of reading each other with their eyes. But I'm not sure where I'm going with this. But yeah, it's, sort it's, of, it's, it's a weird. Like there's no there's no argument really happening. You know? No, but I feel like there's. It's like um, it's like the magnetism of two objects being like ripped apart. Like when I look at them together, I think she looks at him in disbelief. Like I've followed you into this, you know, into yeah. this chaos. Like I've been a part of this gravity, and it's just like being discarded. And so when I look at her, you know, there are those pangs of, re- and I think I, I think you're so right. It's like a she's a loaded weapon. Everything is just happening in how she's conveying her emotion. Is like. I look at that and I'm like, I can see the romance. I can also see the longing. I can see the betrayal. I can see just like being cold. I can see just like this, like a wave coming over her as well. Like he's going to leave like, after everything, yeah. after the confession on the on the hill. He's going to be here and actually walk away from me. Like I, I, I this is, yeah, the... The tragedy is, and and also is, all of Neil's cool is gone at that point. Like even Neil, at his most callous, and like my 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 favorite callous line in this movie is like, "I tell you what, I don't do, I don't sell medals," you know. And that line, <laughs> like she looks just similarly shocked yeah. and weirded out, and he's kind of still acting very cool. Um, but here he's frazzled. Like Vincent is here, the heat is around the corner. He's got to make his decision. Yeah, she's just a storm of emotion. It's great. It's excellent. Yeah. I almost wish we could see what happens next to her. <laughs> well, we might. We might. There is a Heat prequel novel. Well, everyone was thinking that it was the prequel oh, really? novel. Yes, and it's written by a man by the name Reed Coleman or Reed Farrell Coleman, um, depending on which of his books that you purchase. <laughs> uh, and uh, he's he's been given the task, he and Michael Mann are co-writing and co-producing this Heat prequel novel, but what I'm hearing is that it is both, and this is from the great Bill Beery in an interview for Vulture um, uh, for another book from Michael Mann's publishing press called Hunting LaRue, um, is that it is both a Heat prequel and sequel. Ooh. So uh, we may, you know, we may have a... You know, a Vincent Hanna talking to Edie scene that we never thought we'd have, and uh, and I, you know, uh, I haven't haven't yet been able to press Reed Coleman um, uh, on the on this show um, about it. Um, but you know what? What the hell? I'll just let everyone know. In what is it? 
157th minute that we're in right now. In the 162nd minute, Mr. Reed Coleman, the author of the Heat prequel and sequel novel, will be on this show. So um, discussing, you know, discussing this chase, being one of those people in the next four minutes, as uh, Joe was envious of to be talking about these minutes. And, uh, yeah, maybe... You know, without spoiling things, you might tell us uh, how much the prequel and sequel truth is on the on the heat front. Well, I look forward to hearing that. Yeah. Well, look, uh, and um, <laughs> it, it. But yeah, no, it's an idol. You just touched on a great point. I think that it makes a. Um, makes a lot of fans of this movie enjoy revisiting the movie is because because we ourselves are so fluid with our opinions and thoughts around people's feelings it's really nice it's this movie is like a constant like what the hell happens to chris like you just one day you're just sitting down not doing much and you're like what the hell happens to chris like where the hell does he go like does he start his own crew like what the hell what what happened like does she just go back to poor edie does she just go back to appalachia you know what happens? What 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 you know? What happens to Justine? Does she marry Ralph? Like what? Ha- like uh, like you hope not, right? But it's like what happens? There's so uh, many loose ends. Yeah, like you're just left with you know. There's a kind of fallout and the and the uh, there's a whole bunch of people and women, particularly reeling yeah. from all of the events of this movie, and you you kind of stewing in like. There's a discomfort, but it's also like this wonderful discomfort of like, I don't know what the hell is going to happen to all these people, but this was the time and place that we saw them all be on, you know, be all the same players on this chessboard. Um, and, you know, I, I, Chris is the one that Chris, Chris and Charlene, I'm like, what happens to Charlene and Dominic? Like, she's a survivor, but what happens? So the police keep pressing her for a cooperation. Do they just throw her away, you know, because she couldn't deliver Chris? Like, how vindictive are they going to be? I don't think that's Vincent's crew, but like, it's in that wheelhouse. Could there be crappy cops that, you know, press her for it? Does she stay with Marciano? No. No way. No way. No way. He betrayed her. But like, just even for even to get settled, I don't know. Like, it's it's one of those weird, it's one of those weird things that you just you know you always scratch your head about. Great films have a life that extends beyond the end credits. You know. Oh yeah. Yeah, and particularly one like this because I mean, its story is so enormous that even. How how many minutes are we talking about all up? Well, it's it's a hundred a hundred and sixty six pre-credits. Pre-credits. So it can't even encompass everything in no. you know, 166 minutes. No. It's um yeah, it's and that's the only thing that I'm left with is wanting more. Uh, that's yeah. the only thing I'm is is wanting more, but but kind but of pleasantly the, the ending is perfect, so Yeah. Oh no, you want more from the different characters. I feel yeah. like there's nothing about that's a that's a great point. There's nothing that is imperfect about the ending. The ending is overwhelming. The ending's overwhelming is my only word for it. It's just overwhelming. It gets me every single time. And um, and as we approach it, and we're within nine minutes of it, so I'm yeah. really looking forward to. You practically smell it. <sighs> I, I can feel the energy like Vincent. Like my hands, I'm like, I can feel it. It's there. It's this big it's this big thing that's just just around the corner. Just around the corner. Um and uh yeah, it's it's oh it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming to think about. That's one of those great and terrifying things of Twitter 
is there's a great account. I know I'm pretty sure you follow it too, Joe, is um, One Perfect Shot. And they do those wonderful, all those, you know, beautiful little gifts now, which is wonderful as well of just those absolutely little slivers of cinematic perfection throughout the years. And I think intermittently people just re-tag me on the one perfect shot that is the final image from Heat, that like, you know, that like industrial neon vista, like that that it is of like these guys there. Um, and I just am like, oh God, there it is. There it is. There's that final shot of this movie that we've spent now nearly 150 hours talking about. That is perfect. <laughs> that is perfect and intimidatingly perfect. <laughs> Um, I just wanted to go back to something you said, and I can't remember exactly what it was, but um, just the other thing that's really interesting about this very short scene is the way for me it kind of also visualizes what Justine says about um, everything else being the mess that's Mm. left behind. Oh, yeah. Because you kind of just got, you've got a, you've got the mess made kind of, it's, it's happening there on the screen and eventually, you know, he's going to run through it. I mean, we don't, we get to that point as he's sort of approaching it and yeah, I mean, it's just to go back to what I was saying about the, you know, the men kind of having to leave the women, but mm. you know, there is this, there is a cost to all of that. That's actually, I feel like is, um, you know, it's 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 enormous, and it's you know it's part of that thing that we don't get to see the price that all of these women really are paying for loving these men who just actually do physically move away from them and out of the scene and out of out of their lives. And but you do get to see it here. You know, you get to see it with Amy's character standing there, Edie standing there, and the mess is about to like. Literally, well, she she is the mess. <laughs> she yeah, she's left as the mess. Yeah, I think what's what's good about this movie, and obviously there's, you know, it, we can talk about how it's not touched on, but it's like actually getting to frame that there is mess is a nice reprieve because yeah. so many of these movies, you're like, there's a random guy who's there driver or whatever gets shot and it's just who cares like there's no emotional weight he's not a connected being in the universe it's like he's just this floating entity in this one yeah and so when you see don breeden go down you're just your your insides are screaming because you know that there's going to be a lillian shot like we've already had it framed at the beginning of the heist that you know Charlene's making Dominic breakfast and Elaine's making, you know, Michael Torito's girls, you know, getting them ready for school or whatever the case may be. Like there's things happening. Edie's packing shells at a crappy day job, right? Like, or a pretty good day job because she gets discounts as she tells us. Um, um, but yeah, you get these, you get these senses, but, and th- that's, that's the emotional heart wrenching scene here is because you're literally seeing it. There's no distance between it unfolding. Like from this moment, we watch her tussle, we watch that tussle between them, that those emotions, that electrical charge, and then he walks away, essentially, and we just have to... We, we do get the moment where you're, like, staring at her literally being the mess that is left yeah. behind by Neil and Vincent just streaming past her, like, <laughs> just running straight yeah. past yeah. her. Yeah. I mean, look, it is... I really do feel that, for me, um, the, the reason this film is an important film for me and I think a resonant film and a film that I never really tire of watching is because it does give importance to the female characters 
I mean, I don't feel like they're really secondary. In, I mean, yeah. there's always going to be secondary characters in, as you said, there's, what, 70 characters? 70 <laughs> speaking film. roles in this movie. It is nuts. Roles. Like, you know, somebody's got to come second <laughs> <laughs> and third and fourth and 69. <laughs> but I never feel like... 70 you know, is Bud Court for the record. <laughs> of course. Yeah, I think you'd probably be right there. Um, you know, everything, you you get a very strong sense of who all these women are and I think as a result you care about what's going to happen to them, you know, and that's, I just think it makes it the film that it is yeah. on top of all the other great things about it. But Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I think, um, you know, I... I've increasingly, and, and you know, one of the deeper, much deeper appreciations that I have now is every relationship. I just, I just love every relate. I just love every relationship because if you like a character in this movie, you know, if you, you know, from your fir- my first watches as like a teenage kid who had no concept really what the hell was going on except for the kiss, kiss, bang, bang, or just mostly the the bang, bang, crash, crash, bang. explosion you know, great ass, like that's basically all, all those things. <laughs> epic moments. <laughs> all my epic moments as a teenager. And to now, when you watch it, it's like you you love Chris because of Charlene. Like Charlene and Chris, their relationship is inseparable to the narrative. Like it's not like I have a relationship with Chris as this thing. It's like Chris is the guy with this young family and, and Vincent's this guy, in the, you know, in the third marriage and Neil's this guy who, you know, is – is having a, his first relationship, you know, his first girlfriend. I think one of the great guests of this show puts it as like, he's his first girlfriend. Like he's, he's, he's new at this. Like he, you know, he's, he's so inexperienced and he's been so, really. yeah, he's in so institutionalized for so long, like um, in a, in a incarceration that like, he's like such an emotional novice. <laughs> and so, and, and she's so lonely and and is seeking and searching for connection that like they just grab onto each other and in, in this moment like wordlessly like their fate is being sealed. It's so awesome. Yeah. Well, look, I think that's a perfect way to end this episode. I just want to say a massive thank you. Oh, oh thank you, thank you. A massive thank you to you, Joe, for being a part of the show. Thank you so much for being a part of the epic diner conversation. I wouldn't have it any other way. And thank you so much for being back for this minute, this epic, gorgeous minute that it is. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Special mention though to Al Pacino's hair, which (laughs) (laughs) at the beginning of this sequence and right to the end of the film, I think barely moves and wonderfully (laughs) blow waved from start to finish. We haven't talked about the blow wave enough, but I think his hair is looking phenomenal. In yeah, every frame. It gets higher and higher. So, you know, I wish I could run and look that good. But anyway. <laughs> well, look, I, I, I only wish that listening to the show, if any of you are brave enough to listen to the show and run on run on a treadmill while you're listening or go for a run around the block, um, I hope you... Uh, Joanna and I both wish you the blow wave <laughs> of Vincent Hanna. Um, <laughs> you have to. I'm just going to say for a, for a brief moment, you have to follow Joe on Twitter at Joanna DiMattia which is D-I-M-A-T-T-I-A and her website which does link off to all of her other bits and pieces that are around all those other publications that I mentioned in a lonely place film.com Joe thank you so much 
Thank you, Blake. Good luck with the rest of it. Have fun. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Garth Franklin, for our web design, Mr. Paul Davies for our theme, and we'll catch you on another episode of One Heat Minute. Not many left, just around the corner. And may your blow waves be high and consistent. (laughs) Thank you.